When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Coaching Matters Podcast, brought to you by Fundraising University and Brian Kane Peak Performance. Coaching Matters is a nonprofit foundation whose primary purpose is to help coaches, athletes, and activities directors succeed in their programs, schools, and communities. Fundraising University works to help you raise the most amount of money in the least amount of time with the least amount of interference to support coaches and activities directors in enhancing the student experience and life skill development that is a critical component of our educational systems. Brian Kane, one of the world's leading mental performance coaches, works to educate, empower, and energize you to be your best through his 10 pillars of mental performance mastery systems. Together, each week, we bring you interviews, question and answer sessions, and group coaching around mastering mental performance, creating elite culture, and developing the leadership skills you need to succeed. And now, this week's Coaching Matters podcast. All right, we are about to get ready to roll here today. Super excited to be joined by Dr. Chris Winter here on the Coaching Matters group coaching program. And Dr. Chris Winter is the owner of the Charlottesville Neurology and Sleep Medicine Clinic and CNSM Consulting. Dr. Winter's current research focuses on sleep and athletic performance. He served as a consultant for several baseball teams, including the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Cleveland Indians, the Boston Red Sox, San Francisco Giants, the San Diego Padres, Phillies, Tampa Bay Rays, and Pittsburgh Pirates. And in addition to the major league teams that he's worked with, he's also worked with the NBA's Chicago Bulls, Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Indiana Pacers, the Hornets, and the Washington Wizards. In the NHL, he's worked with the Washington Capitals, the Rangers, and the Florida Panthers, and in the National Football League with the Chicago Bears and the Baltimore Ravens, as well as with Team USA Women's Soccer. Now his debut book, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It was an Amazon bestseller in his new book, which I'm super thrilled to have, is The Rested Child. We just had our first child on March 7th. Why your tired, wired, or irritable child may have a sleep disorder and how to help. It was released in August 2021. Couldn't have came at a better time, Dr. Winter. I appreciate you joining us here tonight to share some practical sleep strategies that our coaches that are on this call can use to help not only themselves get a good night's rest and increase recovery to give them the best chance for success, but some of those strategies that you know, they can take and use with their athletes as well. So, man, really t- appreciate you taking time joining us tonight on Coaching Matters. I appreciate it, Brian. And I'm sorry to, to do it under these circumstances. I'll apologize to your audience off the bat. It was just kind of a weird travel change. And, and so, but we'll, we're going to have a good time. For sure, man. Looking forward, looking forward to, to sitting down, you know, because I think when you look at athletic performance, right, and everyone talks about the grind and you got to get up early and you got to stay up late. And it's like, and the reality is you can't outperform bad sleep, man. Your body's going to break down over time, right? And I think, you know, whether you call it Navy SEAL culture and, and David Goggins is great at this in terms of pushing yourself to the limits, which we want to do, but you have to also bake in that recovery. And I think that's where sleep comes in. And, you know, as somebody who wears a Garmin watch to track sleep, I wear a Whoop band to track 
track sleep. You know, I invest in taping my mouth with the eye mask and the earplugs, and I've got the Uller Chili Sleep on my bed, man. Like, I consider myself a professional sleep athlete. You know, so I'm <laughs> super excited to have you on here today. What are some of the, the you know, fundamentals of sleep that you see, Dr. Winter, you know, in your time in professional sports and working with, with some of the best athletes in the world, some of those principles that you feel like apply to general population and everybody to help increase that quality of sleep? Yeah, I mean, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head is that there is a difference between being able to function and maybe perform pretty well on inadequate sleep and being at your best. Hmm. So it sort of kind of boils down to what, what are we looking for here? And, you know, there are certain situations, you mentioned the Navy SEALs, where there may be some practicality in terms of training somebody or helping somebody to develop an ability to do something at, in situations that are not ideal. But if you're a professional athlete or you're a coach of professional athletes, to me, that's at the top of the pyramid. It's, it's we want to, to perform or this team to perform at its best. We, we're not going to be out in the middle of the woods on some sort of 48-hour mission or something of that nature. It's the game's going to start at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we want to put a rubber ball through an iron hoop more than our opponents. And, and so to me, sleep is critical to that. And it's interesting you mentioned the military and the Navy in particular. Um, I've got a son at the Naval Academy who left, <laughs> who left to go swim. Um, and it was an interesting experiment of watching a child, a child, 18-year-old, go to a situation where you're getting better coaching, you're getting probably better nutrition, better training. You're just not getting better sleep. And he did not do particularly well his, his, his first year. I don't think he ever matched his high school senior times. Hmm. So I think that if you're going to invest in an athlete or a team in a way that takes up time, financial resources, and you're not going to help him or her achieve elite sleep, I think you're just wasting time. Mm. You know, it's funny, well, a guy who, who was one of the first kind of sleep doctors that I ever interacted with, I'm sure you know, Dr. James Moss, was a professor at Cornell yeah. for a number of years, you know, and I had a chance to, when I was living in Texas, to sit down with Jim and pick his brain. And I really liked some of the strategies he shared around, like, going to bed and waking up at a consistent time, like setting your room temperature between 65 and 69 degrees. Like, what are some of those, in your expertise in your area, what are some of those absolutes on sleep that you feel like people can do to try to increase? the quality of their sleep yeah james moss is fantastic he actually wrote a blurb that almost makes me cry every time mm. i read it for my new book he actually coined the phrase power nap mm. and if anybody ever has a chance to hear him speak or meet him or shoot a few holes with him he's about the nicest guy in the world um so i mean i think that schedule is a huge thing i think it's extremely important um setting aside time to sleep doesn't necessarily mean that you will fall asleep or you will wake up specifically at those times. But to me, step number one with sleep is always giving yourself the opportunity to get that. Hmm. And I think that a lot of individuals struggle with that, that, you know, just because you can sleep, you know, five hours and do pretty well at your work the next day, doesn't necessarily mean you should. It also doesn't mean that if you're not tired at 11 o'clock 
you can make your, your bedtime 12 or one o'clock. I mean, I think that we always want to control the variables that are in our control hmm. and wake up time is extremely under our control. And if you don't believe me, ask the Navy SEAL or the, or the kid at the Naval Academy. Um, and, and when you start to create schedules that have rigid checkpoints, meaning you can go to bed whenever you want to, but we're going to wake up and start our day at this time every day. It really creates a sense of consistency that our brain likes. I'm a neurologist, so I see everything through the eyes of the brain. And that consistency is important, not only for athletic performance, but general health. So if somebody said, look, I'll do one thing you tell me to do, I would say pick a wake up time and stick with it. Now, there are exceptions. You, you fly, I'm picking somebody up at the airport. If their flight gets in super late through no fault of their own, maybe it's okay to sleep in a little bit the next day or take a nap. But if COVID has taught us one thing, it's been when we lose what we call sight givers or time cues, set wake up times, commute, set meal times, and make them become more flexible, it can really create problems not only in our sleep, but everything else that sort of flows from that. Mm. So what I'm hearing you say, if I got that right, is by setting that, by setting that structured, I'm going to wake up time, let's say to, for simplicity, five o'clock in the morning, by having that, that's going to allow me to get a consistent, get into a consistent circadian rhythm of sleeping. And what is it? What is a circadian rhythm? So the circadian rhythm is just a 24-hour pattern that our brain adopts for most things. When you look at body temperature, cortisol release, you know, digestive enzymes in the stomach, athletic performance, they tend to peak at a certain point in a 24-hour day. They tend to trough at a certain point, which is not shocking. If I, I just finished running about an hour ago, I usually run every evening. I like to run about this time of night, um, right after I see my patients. Um, if I were to do that run 12 hours from now at 4 a.m., it would be a very different experience, both in terms of how I feel doing it, but also my performance. And nobody would be shocked by that. They'd be like, well, yeah, because usually you're, you're asleep at that time. Right. So what we're saying is your brain can become accustomed to certain things happening at certain times. Um, I write a lot about that in my new book about kids. Like if you've got a kid who's sort of a night owl, should they be taking calculus first period? You know, can you argue with the school politely and say, look, my kid's a real night owl. We'd really like for him to have gym class first thing in the morning and have, you know, calculus at the end of the day. And these things matter. So to me, that, that starting that day every day is a real set point for your brain. If you think about a brain at that point, it's going from dark to light, fasted to hopefully fed, cool to maybe warm socially isolated to socially interactive. So all of those things are little cues our brain uses to understand where it is in a time of day. So if we get into the habit of really trying to start our day at the same time, you're not always going to be guaranteed that you fall asleep within five minutes. You really shouldn't want to do that, but it is going to keep things sort of structured. One of the worst things I see when people, people's sleep starts to fall apart is retirement. That's a bad one because now all of a sudden, like, well, I could stay up and watch a couple extra episodes of my show and then I'll just wake up whenever I wake up the next day and I could take a nap if I wanted to. There's nothing I'm beholden to nothing or nobody, which sounds awesome, but that's not at all what your brain wants. Your brain wants a schedule. Um, 
And so that first part of the day, rather than focusing so much on when we go to bed, if you've got kids, you know, if you focus really intently on the wake up time, the bedtime tends to take care of itself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, as we're going through right now with a, with a eight week old daughter, you know, and she's, she's going to sleep, knock on wood about eight hours. Right. So if we like go put her to bed at eight 30 or she goes to bed at nine 30, it's going to be somewhere between four 30 and five 30. Right. So now what I'm trying to do is sync up my schedule, right. With, with a person who sure. travels a lot and things get thrown off of saying, okay, well, when she goes to bed, we go to bed. And when she gets up, we get up. So now we're all kind of on that same plan. In terms of a number of hours per sleep, right? I heard no, and most people, most people will say get eight. Uh, some of your motivational speakers will say get four, right? Because you got to get up and you got to grind, right? And then you'll have you'll have uh, Dr. Moss who said nine if you, hours if and you fifteen die minutes. At 52, if you're yeah. dying at the age fifty-two, yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, and I remember Dr. Moss saying nine. You'll have a great fifty-two years. <laughs> saying nine hours and fifteen minutes. What is this? What is the sleep quotient per se that you recommend to the people that you work with, Dr. Chris? Yeah, what I recommend is you can't, it's like asking how many calories should I eat? I mean, mm. you could give an average, but, you know, the people that we work with are very different. If you're working with a bunch of elite Olympic bodybuilders, gymnasts, um, you know, people of different ages, you can't say. And, and the problem with telling people eight or nine, 15, no offense, to Dr. Moss is that's fine for the average individual, maybe for most of your people in the middle of that bell curve you'll change their lives. But if you're dealing with people on the edges of that bell curve, people who can't sleep nine and a half hours, it's not in their genetics to do it. Mm. Um, people who need more than nine hours. So to me, it's okay to pick a target, but then we want to refine it. So if you want to tell all your athletes, hey, look, you really want to seek eight hours of sleep. So everybody who's got fitness bands or whoop bands or aura rings or whatever, you know, we'll make a dry race board. We're going to put up here, you know, who can hit eight hours every day for the next two weeks, a little game. Athletes love games like that, but it's important to understand that if somebody's saying, look, I'm going to bed at 11 o'clock every night and I get up at seven and it usually takes me an hour to fall asleep. Like I just, even when I have the opportunity to get it, I don't seem to be able to do it. That doesn't necessarily mean that that person has a problem. You know, so we always want to tailor the sleep amount to the sleep individual. And a lot of times that starts with observation. Give somebody a sleep diary, particularly in the off season. Say, just, just do me a favor, write down when you go to bed, write down when you think you fell asleep. And when you got up, put your foot on the floor during the day. And if you took any naps. So like your young child that you've got or an athlete under your control, you can figure out over the next two or three weeks, okay, this guy or this gal has given me three weeks of sleep data. I've added everything up, including their naps. They seem to be averaging about, you know, eight hours and 22 minutes of sleep every 24 hours. So that's a very powerful number because now you're in possession of what this individual seems to require per 24 hours at this point in their life. It will change. You're going to find out very quickly that how much sleep your child needs now is going to be very different than two or three years from now. This is a period of rapid change. When you look at humans over time, they always tend to be losing sleep. Mm. So if you're the coach of an athlete, and the athlete says one year, you're the seventh year you've known her, like suddenly I feel like I need 10 hours of sleep. Whereas before eight was perfect for me. <clears throat> when somebody suddenly needs more sleep, that can be a sign that the quality of their sleep is diminishing and they're trying to make up for it with more quantity. Mm. Mm. What's, what are some of the things that you recommend in terms of getting that, that 
that quality of sleep, right? Because I think if we're looking at, and we may not I know some of the coaches on this call are, are tapped for time as a lot of us are, and, and I may not be able to get the quantity of sleep, but can I make up for some of that if I get good quality sleep by controlling the environment, a temperature, taking a cold tank or a cold bath before bed or a cold shower by not eating within a certain window? What are some of those strategies that you share, Chris, to kind of like, I hate to use the word life hack because I think life hack is called work, right? But what, what are some of the strategies that you've got to do from a work standpoint to set up that quality of sleep? I think the biggest thing that the coaches on this call are tasked with, with their athletes in anything they do is, 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 is educating, coaching to produce a sense of expertise and, and, and confidence. Um, it's difficult to hit a curveball, but my guess is there's a lot of people on this call who are really good at helping people figure out strategies for hitting a curveball. We're not generally built with that innate ability. Maybe you are, but it's, it's something that can be enhanced. Um, if an individual is approaching a situation like hitting a curveball with a lot of fear, anxiety, uh, a lack of confidence, um, it's going to make their abilities significantly worse. And I think sleep sort of like that too. I think that the coach is on here. Your job is to give athletes good education about sleep and it's everywhere. There's all kinds of places to get it. And you're perfectly qualified to give it. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I mean, I can help somebody with their golf game, even though I don't play golf. So as long as I'm telling you, look, I've never played golf before, but I think you've got the club upside down kind of thing. So everybody can give something. Um, so to me, it's about imparting a certain degree of wisdom, which usually starts with education and a plan, mm. you know, and so to tell an athlete, hey, look, I know you're trying to get nine hours of sleep and it's taking you hours and hours to fall asleep. Maybe eight would be better. My God, you have no idea how freeing that can be because somebody really wants to be LeBron James and LeBron says he gets 10 hours of sleep. And so as you're trying to get 10 you just were never built for doing that. It's like mm. you're trying to eat a whole extra large meat lovers pizza every night. And, and just because you can't doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your appetite. It's more about an expectation. Mm. So, you know, to me, the things that we can do to really sort of make a difference are some of the things you mentioned, you know, sleeping in a cooler environment, um, sleeping in a comfortable environment, wearing the right clothes for that individual, being on a bed that is something you look forward to getting into rather than something that hurts your shoulder when you sleep on it. But one of the coolest things that I ever saw in, a, in research was there was a Swiss study that said that if you sat in bed before you went to sleep and imagined you were a fish or a submarine swimming deeper and deeper into an ocean, and you said to yourself in your mind, I'm going deeper, I'm going deeper, I'm going deeper, as you sat there waiting to fall asleep, almost like a mantra, so to speak that individuals who did that before they slept got 81% more deep sleep than people who didn't. And really what we're talking about here is you're saying, look, if I can't get eight hours of sleep every night, which no athlete can, especially if you're traveling, how can I make the best of the night where I can only get six hours or something has screwed up our flight plans and now we're stuck in customs in Canada and can't get out, get to our hotel room. We got five hours before we have to report for breakfast. I think little tips like that are just, solid gold. Mm. And I do it myself. Like when I travel, I'm going to fly to Minneapolis tomorrow. I'll get in late and I got to get up early and do some stuff. So I promise you I'll be in some hotel in Minneapolis tomorrow. Imagining I'm in a little clear diving bell going deeper into the ocean. Cause I believe that, okay, well, I, I couldn't control the amount of time that I'm sleeping. Although I'm a, I'm a hella good sleeper on a plane, 
Mm. So I'll get to, I'll get a little time on the plane, but you know, using little tricks like that are not only real, but it really speaks to the idea that if you can give confidence to an individual who is sleeping, um, you can really make a big difference in terms of the quality of sleep they're getting. Chris, do you need a minute? I know you're flagging somebody down. Uh, yeah, give me one second. Yeah. Hold on one Absolutely. second. Yeah, you're good. You're good, man. Go ahead and take a minute. That gives me an opportunity here to, um, you know, to 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 talk here about Fundraising University, our sponsor here for the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Program. And I just want to welcome everybody to this group coaching program and podcast sponsored by Fundraising University. And we'd like to take time to say thank you to any current Fundraising University coaches and administrators that are joining us on the call here today. Fundraising University is the top high school fundraising company in the United States, helping to raise over $150 million for programs since its inception in 2000. In nine. And once again, I'd like to thank Mike Bahoon, who's the CEO and owner of, of Fundraising University, as the official sponsor for the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Program. And I wanted to let you know as a coach that Fundraising University is looking to team up with members of our Coaching Matters community for three main roles. The first role is as a franchise owner to run a local territory. The second role is as a corporate rep to run fundraisers in a territory. And the third role is as an ambassador coach, somebody who has contacts with coaches and schools that can help bring Fundraising University to those programs and schools. So I'm going to post a link inside of our group chat here, if everybody would open that up. And that link is coachingmatters.org slash join the mission. And there's a dash between that. So coachingmatters.org slash join dash the dash mission, join the mission. And when you click on that, that's going to give you an opportunity to learn more about those roles, whether it's as a franchise owner, a corporate rep, or an ambassador coach. And I also wanted to let you know that next week, I'm going to be doing a call specifically for any MPM coaches who are here. You probably got an email from me today. Any MPM coaches that are on this call as a part of our Coaching Matters community, head over to coachingmatters.org slash join the mission and click on the corporate rep to fill out a form and you'll get information about our calls that we're going to be doing uh, next week to educate you on an amazing exclusive opportunity for MPM certified coaches to join the team. Also want to give you an update here that July 2022 will mark the end of season number one of the Coaching Matters group coaching program. And we've thoroughly enjoyed our time together, together over the past year. This, the, this will be the final season, right? For the final call of season one of Coaching Matters will be on June 20th. And as we transition into season number two, our Coaching Matters calls will be reserved for Coaching Matters ambassadors, fundraising university customers, and fundraising university employees and franchise owners. So this particular group will be invited to one Coaching Matters call per month, as well as one power hour mental performance training call with me as your guide and mentor. So these calls focus on personal development, as well as development in your coaching role and growth as an entrepreneur. So to find out more on how to become a Coaching Matters ambassador or corporate rep, again, click on the link posted inside of the chat, coachingmatters.org slash join our mission. We're back with Dr. Co uh, Dr. Chris Winter. Chris, you know, you were talking about how you go in, you go into a hotel and you got a limited number of, of hours to sleep. My question, first thing you do when you go in that hotel room, what do you do? Do you turn the temp, the room to a certain temperature? That's a good question. Usually the first thing I do is I put my, I get my bag situated. I'm sort of a, I never want to leave things behind. So I was like my bag off the bed. I don't want bed bugs. Um, and then, yeah, I usually go right to the thermostat and turn it down to 65. It'll allow me to, that's a big frustration with a lot of athletes is that there are sort of governors on the thermostat that don't allow them to go to mm. 65. And then 
what I, my favorite thing in rooms are some beds have little bendable reading lights. Now, I usually turn one of those on. So, you know, it was dark on the plane, probably dark in the car that took me to the hotel. I don't want to mess that up by turning on a whole bunch of lights. So usually I try to figure out if there's one light that's relatively dim that I can turn on, that I can see what I need to do, even taking a shower, mm. but not stumble around or, you know, or, or get hurt. So keeping that darkness that really improves melatonin secretion gets me ready for bed. Um, and then I usually, I usually shower before I go to bed. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of getting into a bed dirty. Mm. Yeah, I've actually noticed the same thing. Sometimes if I can't sleep because maybe I, you know, worked out later in the day or I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, it gets hot. Like you're just sitting here sweating in your house, right? So you go into bed and you feel kind of sticky. Do you, do you find that, that taking a shower and do you do kind of a normal shower or cold shower, anything specific with that shower to try to lower your body core temperature or increase your body core temperature before bed? Yeah, I think that there is a real there's a real benefit to a cold shower for an athlete immediately after you know, some sort of competition. Um, if you have access to sort of cryo chambers, I think they work really well too. Just that idea of let's try to get the core body temperature down quickly after the event, especially if the game is ending in the evening and you're going to have something to eat. You know, if you go back to the hotel and, and try to get some sleep, a lot of athletes really struggle to sort of turn things down after they compete. In the evening, though, about you know 30 minutes, an hour before I go to bed, I like a, a warm or a hot shower. Get out, put some light clothing on. When you're in the shower in that hour before you go to bed, the, the temperature kind of increases. And then as you get out, you actually sort of cool down quickly. So that cooling off is a real trigger for your body to sleep. I mean, our bodies tend to go through sort of a natural decrease in temperature as we get ready to go to bed. Now, if you're a night owl, that might drop a little bit later. If you're a morning person, it might happen a little bit earlier. So we can facilitate getting ready for sleep by doing that. And it was funny. I, I wrote in my first book, when my, when my kids was, when he was little, he fell and skinned up his knee and wouldn't let anybody clean it. So we had a massive bathtub in this first house that we had. We didn't put it there. It was just came with the house. So I was like, let's take it, you know, we'll get in there and take a bath and play some Playmobil Pirates. And so when we were in there together, I would, you know, as I was distracting him with the pirate, I would, you know, clean his knee and didn't even seem to notice. And I remember that week thinking, oh, you know, I was sitting there watching, you know, an eight o'clock television show or reading or something and really was struggling to stay awake. And I kind of put it together later on. I was like, oh, yeah, because I'm taking this bath at, you know, seven o'clock and it's it's making me feel kind of sleepy. So I don't think you need a cold, if you like cold baths and cold showers, you can't, but the key is you want to warm up your body, almost like drinking a cup, you know, a cup of tea. Mm. And then as the body temperature naturally returns to that homeostatic 98.6 or wherever you're at, that's the trigger for sleepiness. Ah, so either a hot shower, a hot tub, would, would like an infrared sauna work in that for raising your body core temperature and then getting out and lowering that to help facilitate probably, sleep? Probably, yeah. And that 30 minutes to an hour before, yeah. If you have anything that allows you to do that, that would probably do the, do the trick. Interesting. So cold, so the, so the opposite isn't true then. Do you want to avoid cold before bed because then your body core temperature has to rise? Is that accurate? Correct. Exactly. If you, if you were in it long enough, correct, you would be creating a body temperature rise. So what we're trying to do with the cold therapy or a cryo chamber is get somebody who's a bit overheated back down to normal before. Um, and then that normal temperature will naturally drop as you approach bedtime. Mm. And it's really cool. I mean, if, if any of you guys have, um, 
you know, everybody's got thermometers now because of COVID. Um, it's fun to, you know, if you just have one you can stick on your forehead, do it throughout a day. Just set an alarm to go off every 15 minutes or 30 minutes. I mean, it sounds insane, but and check your body temperature. It makes this perfect little sine curve. And that's body temperature is generally what scientists use to scientifically figure out what somebody's morningness or eveningness is. I mean, there's something called a horn osper. You can do surveys, types of things, and it's very accurate too. But if you're really trying to pinpoint where you're at in somebody's circadian rhythm, it's body temperature does it. And I remember I was out with some teams in spring training and we started really early and ended really late. And I had the thermometer because we were checking temperatures of people. And so every time I would check an athlete, I would check my own and it made this perfect uh, curve. And then when I traveled back to Virginia from Arizona, it was two hours off. And then over time, it kind of shifted back. So it's really neat to see these kinds of scientific things in action. Your body has a plan for everything. Hmm. I, mean, I guess I'm like a sleep nerd coach. This is, this is like one of the most exciting moments of my life here. I got so many questions. I'm going to get to the ones coming in the chat, but I, uh, and as a host, I'm going to hammer my questions. Here we go. So the next question is, you know, uh, cell phones. So many athletes use cell phones when they're in bed and they're on it the whole time, right? And they have the blue light glasses and you have the orange tint you can put on your phone. And I, and my, my strategy I share with athletes is don't plug your phone in where you can reach it in bed, because if you can reach your phone in bed, you're going to be on it all night. So plug it in a bathroom, plug it over on a desk in a hotel, plug it in a different room. If you're at your house, what's your take on cell phone in bed? And is that preventative of people getting to sleep? Yes. And I think it's probably one of the bigger things that affects people's sleep. So you know, we have a rule in our family that cell phones live in the kitchen. So you can look at it as much as you want, but it's like you said, it doesn't get plugged up in your bedroom. And if somebody's making the, I love how young people make the argument of, well, I need it for an alarm. You know, like we had alarms way before cell phones. <laughs> you can buy just a clock with an alarm on it. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, that, that creates a lot of anxiety in some people, but that's, I think that's a, it's a, it's something that has to be done. Hmm. And when you talk to people about it, who've kind of come out the other end of it, they're always happy that they, they did it. Um, I've also talked to athletes. I'll never forget talking to a professional football player who I was just kind of talking with him, you know, in some situation. And he said, well, you don't need to ask me these questions. I don't think I'm going to make a team this year. I'm like, well, that's a terrible thing to say. And he said, well, I just, I just didn't do in the off season what I needed to do to get myself ready. And he goes, I blame my phone. I'm like, really? He said, yeah. I said, I just can't separate myself from it long enough to do much of anything by myself. He said, I do well in a situation where I'm around coaches and people like that, but to motivate myself to go do something versus just messing around my phone, I can't do it. He said, it's gotten so bad that I'll get home and I just shove it in a drawer immediately as, as soon as I walk into my apartment. He said, an hour later, it'll be in my hand. He goes, I'm not sure how it got there. And it, it struck me when he said that, because I remember as a medical student working in inner city Atlanta, talking to a drug addict who said, I really want to quit, but it's hard to quit when suddenly you find yourself with a needle in your arm. He goes, I'm not even sure how it got there. So I think that we're fooling ourselves if we don't think that these devices, which are awesome, and I'm using one right now, um, don't sort of prey upon the neurotransmitters in our brain that facilitate addiction and mm-hmm. um, do not facilitate sleep. Mm. Uh, I can't imagine being an athlete on a phone, having a million people comment on what what I just did 30 minutes ago and your girlfriend or your boyfriend saying this and 
You can't figure out the wordle word for the day. It just there's nothing on there that's going to be sleep promoting. Get a book and read it. I love that. Yeah. The uh, what, what about like a white noise? White noise in the background. Is that something that you use? Yeah, I I, I, I do. Um, and one of the nice things about white noise with an athlete is number one, you're not always able to control your sleep environment. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too is that for the athlete that travels a lot, you're really trying to create an environment that mirrors home. Um, you can do that with smells and feels and, you know, uh, the way it looks, uh, but, but a, a good one is sound. And so if you're kind of used to using that white noise machine at home, when you check into the hotel prior to the competition, there can be something very comforting and soothing to hearing that same sound versus the weird air conditioner or the ice machine or talking in the hallway. So, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with sleeping in silence. That's great. Um, but for some athletes, I think they can find a little bit of, of confidence and solace in. I'm trying to create a very uniform environment that I'm going to sleep in every night. And that can be a wonderful way to achieve that. Mm. Yeah, I know. I know when I, when I sleep my best, it's box fan. It's, uh, it's earplugs, it's eye mask. You know, I know I've looked at some of your Instagram posts and things that you have on there, which your Instagram feed is awesome. So if anyone is on the call and is not yet following Dr. Chris Winter, you're going to want to do that to, to pick up some of the more strategies and things that he shares and posts on. It's tremendous. And I know I've seen that picture. You had the deep sleep shirt that has the, the, the yeah. eye, eye mask built into it. I picked up one of those based off your post, which has been awesome. Very light, comforting, and cooling shirt. Yeah, yeah. And, and Very I go interesting with, fabric, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then I go with earplugs too. And then I've recently, uh, as I read, I want to say it was James Nestor in his book, Breathe. Uh, I thought I started taping my mouth. Is that something that, that you've explored and, and have any research on the, like taping the mouth or earplugs, eye mask? Earplugs, eye mask for sure. I mean, I think that if you're somebody, if you're a coach and you travel, your travel bag, the one that goes on the plane with you needs to have both of those things. And I'd recommend some sort of device to kind of hold your neck. The one that I like snap anywhere just because it fits so easily in my bag. There are more comfortable ones out there, but in terms of function per unit size, I've never found one that works better. So those are just three nice things to have. You're on the plane, we'll think support your neck, cover your eyes, ears, you're out cold. Mouth breathing is, is, a, is a thing. We don't have a lot of research about it. Um, we have patients who, when they use CPAPs, little devices that push a little bit of positive pressure to support the airway, will often tape their mouth to keep the air from going into the nose and out of the mouth. So, you know, it is, it's always been a, it's a, it's a way to sort of promote um, less snoring. When your mouth is closed, you do create a little bit of, of um, positive pressure that helps to support the airway. If you have a bed partner, sometimes you might notice the bed partner goes, kind of makes a, puffing sound. And a lot of times it's the individual trying to create a little bit of positive pressure uh, to keep their airway open. Now, as soon as they take the breath, the positive pressure is gone, but that reflex is there. Babies will do it sometimes too. So um, yeah, perfectly fine to, to work with breathing. It's just something that's in my wheelhouse to talk about. Nice. And then you mentioned uh, nap anywhere. I just want to make sure I got that. I got that correctly. And that this is because I'm going to order it. Uh, is this, is this yeah, the one it's like a little, about? yeah, that's the one it's like a little Frisbee. It's extremely lightweight. And when you get it on, it unfolds into like almost like half of a cervical collar. Mm. And then there's a little strap mm. that goes underneath your arm to hold it in place. And there's a little part that kind of comes around and cups your chin. And it just kind of, 
hold your head exactly kind of where you want it. Uh, um, it it's pretty easy to sleep on. There's a sort of a more fabric side and more of a leather side. You can use either side you want, whichever makes you feel more comfortable. Love that. That's, that's I'm going to get that here as soon as we're done. Uh, you mentioned melatonin, melatonin secretion. Is that something that you recommend people use as a supplement? You know, is, is one milligram good? Is 10 too much? Or is it something we should avoid completely? Like what's your take on melatonin supplementation? Yeah, so my mel- take on melatonin is number one, what you're getting in your bottle, um, even from pill to pill in the same bottle is kind of a crapshoot. Uh, there was a study done not too long ago that basically said, look, you have no idea what you're ingesting, no matter what it says on there. You might be getting three times as much melatonin on the label or none at all. Melatonin is a, is a neurotransmitter, a hormone that's secreted to help our sleep sync up with day and night. So if we didn't have melatonin in the equation, we'd all sleep about eight hours, we'd all over the place. You have some people sleeping at 2 a.m., other people falling asleep at 4 p.m., just It'd be like people have watches that were all over the place, nothing synchronized. So the the key with melatonin is it's trying to get everybody, at least all the humans, maybe not the raccoons, sleeping when it's light, when the light is gone and awake when the light is present. Um, So it's not really a sleep aid. It's a sleep timing device. Mm. And so what the problem I have with melatonin is a lot of people use it as a sleep aid. I take it every night to fall asleep. And that's not really what it was ever intended to do. Plus taking that melatonin right when you go to bed is sort of creating a surge in melatonin in your brain at a time when it really doesn't surge. I'm, I'm, I'm driving around, it's about 7.30 in Virginia right now. The, the sun is about to go down. And so coaches will appreciate this, that the time our secretion of melatonin is at its highest, is about the time that if you're out there throwing a baseball or a softball on a field with no lights, at the time when you're like, okay, let's, let's, let's call practice for the evening and head on home because I'm having trouble picking up on the ball until it's right on me. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's going to get a ball right in their forehead because it's the lights. About that time is when we're secreting the most of our melatonin. It's called dim light melatonin onset. So outside of travel, shift work, jet lag, I don't know that there's really a great utility for it. Um, and it's certainly not really something I'd recommend that somebody just takes every night to help them sleep. I, not, not a big fan of that. I appreciate that. Appreciate that instruction and feedback. Wearables, you know, you mentioned earlier, Whoop, Aura Ring. Uh, you know, there's also Garmin watches. Any wearables that you recommend for sleep tracking? You know, there's the one now that's on your phone that goes in your bed, which I can't even remember what that was. Sleep cycle, I think, which I don't want yeah. my phone in my bed. So I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't use that one because that would be too difficult to not just roll over and start looking at it. Um, but is there any wearables or anything that you recommend coaches, athletes use to try to get a better awareness of what their sleep quality is? Yeah, I like them all. I think coaches are sort of tasked with the difficult job these days and, and that's sort of overcoming this distrust of them that's sort of out there particularly among the professionals you know nobody's that i've ever to dig information on a patient or try to or a player and try to make them look bad or use it against them it's really always sort of the spirit of hey let's see if we can get you sleeping even better mm. so i like one that didn't have some degree of merit i mean the one that I personally like is made by a company called Winnings. I'm not sure it's the best one for, you know, a baseball player because it looks more like a real watch. Um, but it has a little pad that you can buy that goes under your mattress, kind of like what you were describing. So, you know, do you have a player that's really motivated to 
take control of her sleep data and share it with you? Do you have somebody who's a little bit more reluctant, forgetful, flighty? You know, maybe the O-ring works best because you can put them on, put it on an individual and they can kind of forget about it. It can go quite a while without being charged. I mean, the device that I use can go about a month without being charged. So, you know, some people just, you know, the Apple watch is great, but it's got to be charged pretty much every day. So if you're charging it at night and wearing it during the day, that kind of creates problems. So I think there's a wearable out there for everybody. I like Whoop. I think it provides really good data. Um, Fitbit does have some good things. Garmin has some good ones as well, too. So to me, it's really about figuring out kind of like a mattress. What what are you looking for? What what do you need out of it? Are you a coach that's buying something for a lot of players and you're going to be managing the data of a team? Or is this really just an isolated you know, athlete or you? You want more information on your sleep. And to me, I think these things always work best when you have a question. If it's just my sleep's terrible, I'm going to get something and put it on my wrist. You're going to basically have terrible sleep and understand exactly how much REM and light sleep you're getting. So the biggest downside to wearables is it sometimes presents information that's not actionable. It's like buying a wonderful MRI and sticking it in your garage. You're taking killer pictures of your pancreas, but you're kind of like, I don't really know what to do with this, but it's a mm. pretty awesome picture of my pancreas. So right. unless there's an interpretation either in the device and professional with your team, it sometimes this data just kind of sits there. Mm. And, and some athletes can create more anxiety. Oh, 17% REM sleep. And I was 18% last night. What's going on with me? Like, So we always want to make sure that if we're going to give that sort of advice to try you know, tracking sleep, we always want to give some sort of counsel with it too. Or ask a question. Hey, do I sleep better when I drink heavily or not? Do I sleep better at my girlfriend's? apartment or my own bed by myself. That, that's something that these things can often really provide a lot of insight into. What, what about like mattress cooling systems? One of the questions came in from Alan McDougall um, and Alan had, had asked, what, what, you know, what about temperature or mattress cooling systems like eight sleep or the chili sleep, right? Which is a mattress for the coaches here. It's basically chili sleep is a pad that goes on top of your bed that works kind of like a game ready. It's got a little box that cools water and pushes it through it to lower or control the temperature of, of the mattress. What's your take on those, Dr. Winter, in terms of like the mattress cooling or heating systems? Yeah, I love them. I think they're all great. I think that if somebody said, look, I'm going to buy one piece of technology, you don't know who I am, but I can one piece of technology and think would make the biggest difference in my sleep over the next you know, week or two. I, I would say it's probably one of those devices. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever met somebody who used one who doesn't think it makes a big difference in terms of the quality of their sleep. Mm. The, the, the biggest problem is it's pricey. The price right. point is, is the issue. But, you know, I know that Chile has extremely liberal return policy. So if you don't think it's making big in your sleep, I would strongly recommend you give it back. But it's also really nice if you have a temperature that you like, but your bed partner likes something a little bit different. It's a wonderful way to get exactly the, the environment that you want. Yeah, it's awesome. It's funny you mentioned. It's funny you mentioned exactly that because uh, my wife and I, right? I, I like to turn mine to as low as it goes, and she says hers probably somewhere around like seventy degrees, you know. And 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 it's and it's interesting how the dogs will kind of migrate to the side that's warmer, you know, if they're if they're in bed with us. But speaking about dogs sleeping in bed, there that has to be a no no, I would think, for quality sleep. I think so. Although there have been studies that show that certain pets in bed 
can actually facilitate sleep. Um, so you have to be, so it just, to me, it's about, does your dog curl up into a ball and he's the last one to get out of bed in the morning? Um, doesn't make any sounds, doesn't snore, doesn't bark at bears that get into your trash can at night. Or is it kind of a needy dog that is sacrificing your sleep? And you can say the same thing about a bed partner. You know, somebody yeah. snores loudly. You know, sometimes when I get congested, I ruin my wife's sleep. And so I think you've got to kind of look at the situation and figure out, you know, I, I'm home alone. I like having the dog with me because if somebody pulls into the driveway, it will bark and alert me. I feel more secure about things. Or I've got a snoring pug that is a disaster in the bed and is somewhat incontinent. Yeah. I think that you might want to consider a crate or something for that dog. Yeah. Two French bulldogs that sleep on your pillow and snore in your ear. Yeah. That's why, that's why I wear earplugs because we got French bulldogs. What about uh, heart rate variability? You know, I know that's something that gets a lot of traction when I go to, to strength and conditioning conferences and everybody's talking about how to increase heart rate variability. Um, what exactly is heart rate variability? And is there anything that you've seen that helps, to increase heart rate variability as a, as a way to get a better sleep? Yeah, so HRV or heart rate variability is basically, if you look at an individual's heart rate, the, 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 the distance or the time between each successive heartbeat can vary a little bit. And, and, and so by measuring that variability, we can start to get a little bit of insight in terms of the parasympathetic and sympathetic health of that individual. Um, so it's like anything else. I mean, I think that HRV is awesome. It's, uh, you know, I think body temperature is awesome. I think sweating is awesome and heart rate all by itself and blood pressure and, and EEG, each and pulse oximetry, all these things are giving us a little clue as to what's going on with an athlete. So the analogy I've always given is it's like having a device that can detect color and you're trying to identify a particular animal. Um, and so the color meter is saying gray. Um, and so you might have some guesses of what the animal is, but it'd be awesome if you had a size detector. Size detector is saying massive. And the food detector is saying eats peanuts and the ear characterizer is saying big and floppy. With each little piece of data that I'm giving you, the picture of this animal is becoming clearer. Um, and I think that the HRV is sort of like that too, that each little data point by itself is not particularly strong, but when you start coupling it with other variables like body movement, recording snoring sounds, maybe some EEG, pulse oximetry, HRV, you're actually starting to create a system that's giving you as much data and maybe better data than what we would use in a sleep lab. When we talk about a, a sleep study, the technical term is polysomnogram. So what that we're saying is poly meaning many somno sleep gram measurements, many sleep measurements. So there's nothing intrinsically better about a sleep study. There's just more, there's just more wires taped to your body. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to come back on your show in 10 years. And my guess is every the things that we wear on our wrist will equal and probably surpass the technology that's in a sleep lab. Like we're we're moving so quickly in that direction, it's staggering. Mm. So HRV is great. Just consider it to be one telling variable um, in terms of the athletes that you're dealing with. So lots of information to get from it, but if you can stack it all with some other information, that's even better. 
you know, some of the other 